every single conversation was actually about a conversation. And so I was sort of like, when you get it right, oh my God, Mike, it's just crazy what happens when you get it right. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, I have met a lot of incredible people along the journey of hosting the Impact Entrepreneur Show. And one of those amazing people is the incredibly talented and generous and epic Amy K. Hutchins. She first joined the show way back in episode 26, which was published and released in September of 2016. And during that conversation, we actually talked about her phenomenal book, which is called The Secrets Leaders Keep. And that is still a must read for anyone in any kind of leadership role. But today, Amy Kay is back and we are talking about her recent work focusing on the power of profitable conversations, especially tough conversations. Amy Kay teaches us that life happens one conversation at a time and the quality of our lives are a direct reflection of the quality of our conversations. And really, the truth is, It only takes a few minutes of intentional thought and preparation to assure that almost any conversation will be a high-quality conversation, whether it's a tough conversation to have or not. We just keep lying to ourselves that we don't have enough time when in reality we can't afford not to take the time to think about the way we communicate with each other. Whether you're talking to your employees in a Fortune 500 company or you are Uh, an employee talking to a leader in a Fortune 500 company, or as you'll hear me talk about in the episode, you're talking to your daughter. The truth is that immediately reacting to a conversation, no matter what role you play, can lead to irresponsible communication that negatively impacts your relationship. However, if you take the time to consider the context around a conversation and how you want to be treated by others, You can approach every conversation with a strategy and tone that leads it in a positive direction. Amazingly, all it takes is pausing before you respond as opposed to reacting. It's okay if you feel angry or have an emotional response, but you have to keep in mind that, especially as a parent, as a boss, as a spouse, the very first words that you say will set the entire tone, tenor, and direction for everything that follows. Amy Kay tells us, When we get into these tough conversations, there's two things you can do to sustain a relationship or not. Go in for connection or go in for power. If this is a conversation with your partner, children, or friends, obviously it makes sense to go in for connection. But there are other times when you have to draw a line or a boundary, and that's when you have to go in for a power play. And you have to make this choice consciously. If you want to have more impactful and profitable conversations in your life, I highly recommend listening to this episode, checking out Amy Kay's new course, The Power of Profitable Conversations, 
And after you're done, you will be confidently and competently leading your way through some of the toughest but most opportunistic conversations without saying something that you regret giving your power away or damaging your most important relationships. There is so much value in this conversation. And I encourage you to listen to this with your team, to listen to this with your spouse, to listen to this with your children. I'm pretty sure we don't have any bad language, but nevertheless, this is a conversation where you will definitely want to bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Amy Kay, welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. It's been uh, a while since we've had you on back in episode number 26, if you can believe it or not. It's when uh, I was young. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I had hair. <laughs> not really. Um, you know, but it's it's been a long time. We we uh, back then, and we'll link to that episode in the show notes because people should go back and listen to a little bit about your background and and about your the work that introduced us to each other, which is The Secrets Leaders Keep, which was a phenomenal book and um, a wonderful, relatable tool that I think that any leader should should spend some time with because they'll they'll see themselves in it. And they can go back to episode 26 and, and listen to that episode. And then before or after, go to Amazon and, and buy that best-selling book. But I am pumped for a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, we, that, that was episode 26. It's, it's episode by the time this airs, this will be like episode almost like after episode 150, I think we're at 146 you right are now. Rocking, so, dude. Uh, you are rocking. I love it. But you and I have stayed in touch the whole entire time between then and just cheerleaded each other on and championed each other. And well, I and, believe in what you're doing. Yeah, thank you. And I and I believe and I feel that from you and I believe in what you're doing and just just like you're like a like kindred spirits, you know. And um so I'm excited to have you on because I I just really like you. Number 1. And number 2 because some of the stuff that you are working on right now is incredibly timely specifically about uh Con- the the art of the conversation, which you refer to as uh, having power, the the power of profitable conversations, yeah. And and one of the things that you've been generating a lot of in your content lately has been focusing on tough conversations, and and so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the the elements of that, and um and 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 we'll kick things off there because really. You know, communication is so super easy, right? Like it, it's only two variables. It's just the the sender and the receiver, right? So what's the big deal? <laughs> yeah, it's so easy. I don't even know why we talk about it. It's just so easy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why are there like thousands of books written about it? Whole college education degrees, masters, graduates degrees. I mean, it's just the sender and the receiver, right? So like. Uh, if that's not the case, what is the you know the top? What are the top things that people misunderstand about the communication process? Let's just start with everything. So <laughs> it's like so, one of the things that, and this is, it's going to sound trite until you realize I actually believe it, and I've I've been living my whole life by it. Uh, life happens one conversation at a time, and our lives are 
directly, the quality of our lives are a direct reflection of the quality of our conversation. And so when a conversation goes awry, when we've been blindsided, when we think we're having a conversation with somebody else, but we really realize the conversation was mainly with ourselves in our own head, all these things can, can go wrong. And so what's been really kind of distilling for me is that in the last couple of years, I realized that even though I was talking about performance and culture and innovation and entrepreneurship and you know marketing and traffic and sales and conversions, what I realized is that every single conversation was actually about a conversation. Mm -hmm. And so I was sort of like, when you get it right, oh my God, Mike, it's just crazy what happens when you get it right. And so Mm -hmm. to me, it was just really kind of fun to start focusing on what do you say? How do you say it? When do you say it? How do you frame it? What tone and tenor? And and then I just watched, you know, results skyrocket. That was when the light bulb went on. It was like, that's really what I want to spend the rest of my life doing is helping people with the tough conversations. And we all have them. And a lot of us try to avoid them. Mm -hmm. What I heard you say there is that it comes down to expectations versus reality. And the bridge between those two things often is never built. Uh, It's just, you know, we're so busy today. We are running with our our hair, if you have hair, on fire. If (laughs) in my case, I'm running with like what little follicles I have left on fire, like, like sparks coming out of my head. But like, you know, we, we don't take time. We think we, okay. So one of the biggest lies that I think that we tell ourselves is that we have time. One of the other lies that I think we also tell ourselves is that we don't have enough time. Right. Right. And so we are running like mad and and we're stepping on each other and if we just took a little bit of time i think maybe 10 minutes probably before you were to engage in a conversation with whether it's a a good one or a bad one and do a little bit of preparation like to do exactly what you just said figure about think about the tone think about the timing think about what's going on in the recipient's life yes things will drastically be different. Well, and it's not even it's not even 10 minutes. So this is kind of fun. I was just in New York this week. I had five think tanks with CEOs and we were working on their hardest conversations that were on the horizon in the next 30 to 60 days. And we literally gave them four minutes. I said, four minutes to frame it, write a question. How might we, brilliant magical words, by the way, how might we, it opens up possibility. It creates space. It shows that you're including somebody in the we. You're trying to figure stuff out. But then to fill in their goal or their objective on the tough conversation. So it could be, how might we grow sales by 12%? How might we make you a more integrated team player? How might we merge these cultures successfully? So anything that they were working on. But then we said, okay, turn it into a forward-focused, positive, engaging, inclusive question. And Mm -hmm. then think about your key phrases, your tones, what it is that you want. Now step into a friendly devil's advocate and think about what your participants want and then write a question, another question that includes them. And literally in four minutes, these CEOs went from, I don't even want this conversation. I'm nervous about this conversation. I'm angry about this conversation to, holy cow, I can now confidently and competently lead this because I prepped and I put a little time and effort. And you are so right. One of the biggest lies that we'll say is I'm too busy to prepare so we'll go wing this conversation. It'll bite mm-hmm. us in the butt. 
and then we'll spend hours trying to recover from a bad conversation. Mm -hmm. Four minutes Mm -hmm. to prevent all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of a, it wasn't, I have a story to share with you. It wasn't a, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't with the CEO. It wasn't with a client of mine. Um, It was with my 11 year old daughter. Okay. And yesterday I drove home. uh, I flew into town and drove home uh, from the airport. And my daughter calls me. Uh, well, my wife calls me and says, your, your daughter needs to talk to you. I'm like, wait, wait a second. Usually when someone says your daughter needs to talk to you, I'm like, wait, didn't we create her together? Isn't she our daughter? I'm just that generally. So I'm like, okay. So she gets on the phone and she starts telling me about like how she was on eBay and she bid on these couple that she's obsessed with basketball cards and, and basketball. She's the she's the biggest Warriors fan, and you, she could ask anything. I love her to death, and I mean she could she could quote anything about any stat about the Warriors. But oh, cool! I was talking with her, or she she's telling me about these cards that she bid on. They're called relic cards because they have a piece of like Kevin Durant's jersey in them or Steph Curry's jury jersey in them. And she was really excited and she won them for like seven dollars and fifty cents and and uh and ten dollars or whatever. But then as she's talking, things are clicking. I'm like, huh, first of all, I I didn't know you had an eBay account. Did mom let you establish an eBay account? Who let you establish an eBay account? You're 11 years old. Whose bank account is on that eBay account? <laughs> uh, then, then she goes, and then I was bidding on this. And she goes, and then I was bidding on this other Kevin Durant college, one of his college cards. And I didn't really understand what the maximum bid thing meant. So I put in... What I thought was $16.50, but dad, I accidentally put in $650. Oh, ooh, dope. And she won. <laughs> and, and I'm like, you did what? How did you open an eBay account? Who did you, who let you open an eBay account? Whose bank account is on that eBay account? And I'm like, Maeve, I can't talk about this right now. I have. I have got to think. So good, but that's a great response. That's yeah. actually a really great response. I can't talk about this right now. I, I can't. I, I like you know. My wife grabbed the phone from from Maeve. She could because she could hear. I was kind of ramping up. She's like, "We'll talk about this when you get home." And so I was in the car and I was stewing. I'm yeah. like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so frustrated." And Maeve, you know, she's like, "I'll pay you back, Dad. I'll pay you back." And and I'm like. Okay, so I'm like, how am I going to address this when I get home? Nothing is going to be gained by being angry at her. She didn't do it on purpose. It wasn't malicious. So, and I'm always talking about giving what you desire yourself. So I'm like, I always desire people to be merciful to me. So I'm going to be merciful. So I went in there and she was super worked up and anxious and I we you know I walk into the house drop my luggage off I call her into the back into our room and she's like dad dad I'm sorry I'm sorry I put my hand on her shoulder and I say Maeve we all make mistakes you're not in trouble this was an error you shouldn't have opened up an eBay account without checking with me and mom but 
but this thing that you did was not intentional. It was an error. We will work it out. So as a result of being merciful, taking time, stepping back and looking at what happened, I discovered a few things that had I been angry with her and reacted instead of responded, it would have negatively impacted our relationship and we would have come to the same result had I acted calmly and then pursued the process. So what I discovered was that number one, even though she put in a $650 max bid, all that meant was every time somebody else bid, her bid went up by like 50 cents. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I tried to retract the thing, but because it was within 12 hours, couldn't do it. And then I'm like, wait a second, eBay's got to have a policy about minors opening up an account without their parents' permission. So I, you know, it's 8.30 at night or whatever it was. And I called their, you know, India hotline. And, uh, and sure enough, they did. And I was able to get on the phone with them and they, they suspended and terminated the account. And they were going to, they reached out to the, the, the sellers and explained what happened. So we had a win from my relationship with Maeve, my daughter. We had a a suspended account and we had sellers who were going to be taken care of, right? And that was all because I paused and I responded as opposed to reacting. If we take that and we put that into a business scenario... And we acknowledge that we are all humans, right? And, and each and every one of us make mistakes every day. And if you're a leader and you pause and you step back and you, you could be angry, but you choose to respond instead of react, man, imagine what can happen. Yeah, and I think you actually just said where I, where I was going to take it too. And that is, you are allowed to be angry. And I think that that's where things start to go awry pretty quickly is that people want to either express that or repress it. And mm-hmm. what I say is just honor the fact that you're human. You're allowed to be human. You're mm-hmm. allowed to be angry. You're allowed to be frustrated. You're allowed to be annoyed. You're allowed to be envious and jealous. Mm-hmm. And then this is where, where I love it. I'm just going to praise you kind of in a forensic analysis of what you did. You took the deep breath and you said, okay, I'm angry, but that's my reaction but doesn't have to be my response. And so what I'll, I'll often tell a leader, whether it's at home or at work, you can have a reaction. You are allowed to be human. Your reaction doesn't define you. Your mm-hmm. response does mm-hmm. because it's a choice. Mm-hmm. And so what I love about it is that when you take that deep breath, it gives you a chance to say, how do I want to be treated in this? If roles were reversed, what would I want to hear out of somebody's mouth? And, and what are the, you know, what are the consequences that are going to be? And how do I want to actually frame the conversation? And what do I want the first words out of my mouth to be? Because here's what's fascinating to me. As a dad, as a boss, as a spouse, the very first words that you say will set the entire tone, tenor, and direction for everything that follows. So mm-hmm. when you come in and you say, look, we all make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Or you even say, a part of me is angry. But that's not the part that, you know, that, that again, if you say just, I'm angry, then you've given your kid no wiggle room. And so Maeve would have become more defensive, more anxious. The conversation would have escalated in the wrong direction. 
because she would have felt that defensive mechanism of fight or flight. There's no room other than a conversation about my dad's anger. Mm -hmm. But the minute that you're like, okay, we all make mistakes. A part of me is angry, but now let's troubleshoot. What you're saying is there's room and there's grace for a redirect. And mm-hmm. that's brilliant. Like, I'm just, I am full stop validating. You yeah. are an awesome dad. Last oh, night. thank you. You're that, an awesome you know, dad. For, for that one example, I have got 10 others where I didn't do that. You know, because well, we're human. We're human. But we'll yeah. highlight and validate the fact that yes. that was a brilliant response. And that's, I'm also going to bring up another thing too. I love the fact that when you were on the phone, you had awareness, and a lot of people don't, to say, I actually can't talk about this right now. And that's one of the false myths that we also kind of step into is that we feel like because somebody presents us with something that's volatile, we have to respond in the moment. We Mm -hmm. don't. Mm -hmm. And so what I'll often tell people is you have a right to clear your desk. You have a right to go out on the back porch. You have a right to walk away. And it's not that you're walking away as in this isn't important to me. It's no, it's actually, it's so important to me. I need to collect my thoughts and my emotions and come back much more thoughtful in my response. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and and the other thing too, I think that people confuse is you know, you mentioned that it's important it's okay, it's important to acknowledge that it's okay to be angry and not to confuse a sense of anger or frustration with a lack of empathy. Correct. And I think some people believe that the two are mutually exclusive. You can't be angry and empathetic at the same time. But that's, you can be, that, that's actually what, what empathy is. It's, it's to be on path with someone because you can't, that anger is derived from a, a, the origin of that anger is, comes from the same place because the person who made the mistake is afraid. And your anger is also ultimately rooted in fear. So you both are starting at the same location. So, hey, let's just meet at the same place. We're both starting from a place of fear. Let's, I'm afraid I'm going to lose $650 that I didn't have in the budget. You're afraid I'm going to be mad at you. Let's, let's just take a breath and, and be calm. So what role does, does empathy, what, what role has empathy played in your own communication and process and relationships as a leader. You know, it's it's interesting because we're we're told so much that, you know, keep your feelings out of it, you know, it's not personal, it's business. And I'm I'm just going to professionally say that's bullshit. And so, <laughs> one of the things that I think that's really important is that if you t- if you think about empathy, empathy doesn't mean that you and I have a shared experience. It doesn't mean that. It means we have a shared emotion. So I love the idea that what you said is that we're both having different experiences. I'm coming from the role of the parent. She's coming from the role of the kid. But we have this meeting around emotions. We're both afraid. We, we're just afraid about different things, but we share a common emotion. And that's where empathy comes. You don't have to have become bankrupt to have empathy for somebody that feels tremendous loss and shame and embarrassment because we share those emotions, maybe with a different experience. But that's where empathy comes from. And I think that if we take it a little bit deeper, where conversations tend to get really dicey is when we realize, or when we stop realizing that, you know, there's multiple conversations that are occurring at the same time. There's the one that you're actually having with your daughter that's physical and tangible and in front of you. But then there's the conversation that's happening inside your head 
There's the conversation that's happening inside her head and all the assumptions and stories that might be false, might be true, that are happening, that that are contributing to what it is that we're actually saying. And so one of the things that I'll always, I'll always say to folks is everybody is the hero or the heroine of their own movie. And when you start a conversation with somebody, you're interrupting their movie. And so kind of a fun, less, less kind of um, serious with Maeve, but it's sort of like, let's just say that you had a, you're in the middle of a crazy day. Like your movie is actually, maybe it's a horror show. Maybe you're like in a, um, you know, uh, a marathon of Scream, you know, or Nightmare on Elm Street. And I'm in my own rom-com. to hide. <laughs> exactly. So I'm, you know, I'm in my own rom-com. I come along, I interrupt your movie and I'm like, Hey, you didn't take out the trash and the trash is how you show me that you love me, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you, you come up and your head is spinning and you're, you're looking at, you know, your spouse and you're like, no, wait a minute. I don't, do you not see that I am trying to deal with a client who's got a chainsaw, who's trying to like rip me up to pieces right now. And I'm like, no, I didn't see your chainsaw movie because I'm in the middle of my rom-com. And so what happens is, is we have these conversations that seem like we're all on the same page in the moment, but we're not. Mm-hmm. All these other conversations are going on behind the scenes. And so, you know, we, we joke about communication being easy. It's one of the hardest things that we do, mm-hmm. which is why we avoid some of the toughest conversations. And it can be mm-hmm. as innocuous as I avoid the tough conversation with my neighbor and their yapping dog to I avoid asking for a raise or a promotion. And here's the crazy thing. Most people are like, why would you avoid a conversation about a promotion? Because of all the fear, this other internal mindset conversation that I have that if they said no, then I, then I have shame or I have embarrassment or it challenges my sense of self-worth. And so all these competing commitment conversations are going on at the same time. And it makes you cray-cray. It does make you cray-cray. And, and it would be a lot easier or not easier, but it would be a lot simpler. And simple doesn't necessarily mean easy. Right. If we just acknowledged as we're walking around as you know my wife is uh waiting for me to take the trash out and i'm trying to fight off uh some somebody running me down with the chainsaw that everybody is fighting a hard battle yes you know it's in some way shape or form and and that we should desire for others that which we desire for ourselves and it begins with really in order to be positioned for success in anything let alone a conversation you have to begin with what's going on internally and where you are you know and developing those self-awareness muscles so how can people begin to approach that so that well, they don't rush yeah. into something and accidentally run into a chainsaw that wasn't meant for them in the first place. <laughs> right. And you know, and, and some of that really is, and it's, um, I will say, I'll be very honest. It is easier said than done, but it is a skill. And the more that you practice it, the better that you get at it. And one of those first questions that I'll always have people stop is to say, how would I want to be treated? Like, how would I want somebody to respond to me if I had made a mistake like this or at this mm-hmm. level? And I, you know, there's a lot of moments in my life where some pretty egregious stuff has happened. I mean, that's just part of the human journey. And, and you look at this person, and you're like, holy cow. But if it's not so egregious that they've completely annihilated a boundary, so that's a different conversation. If you've got to draw a boundary or put a line in the sand, that's a different, a different conversation. 
But if somebody's just misstepped, if somebody's just made a mistake or they've said something that's hurtful or they've done something that you completely don't agree with, then the very first thing that I'll tell somebody is put yourself into the mode of, what if I had done that? How would I want somebody to respond? And I'll tell you what, it changes your state pretty Hmm. darn fast. Because it's like, I wouldn't want somebody to yell. I'd want somebody to have compassion. I wouldn't want somebody to belittle me. I'd want somebody to say, shoot, just like you did with your daughter. You know what? We all make mistakes. This isn't cool. And then now maybe because you are a parent, you will throw some power back into the conversation to say, and you are grounded for opening up an eBay account, or there is a consequence for opening up an eBay account. We want this to sting just a little bit to remind you, you really crossed the boundary. And there there was, there was. Oh, I'm sure because you are at the same time that you're showing her compassion and connection, you're also trying to raise a responsible, thoughtful kid that, that can't sometimes know things that are unsafe for her own well-being. And that's your job as a parent is to keep her safe. Right. Um, but there is this distinction. And I think that this is really important. There are only two things that you can do in a conversation to um, sustain that relationship or not sustain it. And that is you can either go in for connection or you can go in for power. And when you're in your most intimate relationship with like Lisa, your conversations are about connection. They're not about power. There are other places in the world where you have to draw a line or a boundary and that becomes a power play. Here's where I tell people, it's not about not going for a power play. It's about being 100% conscious in the choice that you make as to whether you are seeking connection or power. Mm. Because if you're in an intimate relationship and one of you is about power and one of you is about connection, you guys, you'll, the, the relationship will disintegrate. If you're both about power, that relationship's going to implode. If you're both about connection, that relationship's going to thrive. Now, that's not always um, applicable to friends and family and work situations. You might need a power play, but you mm-hmm. got to know that you're consciously choosing it. You know, you, you, you have a tremendous amount of experience, not only working directly with CEOs around the world, but also you know, working in the corporate side of things as well too. Can you share an example or a story of where you've been on the receiving end of a tough conversation where where maybe an example A, somebody came in with the uh, the power play and then in a, a, compare it to another example where somebody came into the connection and what the outcome was? Yes, so I'll give you a great one. So years ago when I was in corporate, my um, one of my directors of IT came in and pretty much laid down like an ultimatum. Like I, I deserve a $10,000 raise. You know, we're in this middle of this, you know, IT installation. And he pretty much says, if I don't get this $10,000 raise, you know, I'm quitting. Well, that's a power play. And so I just looked at him and in the first words out of my mouth, how, how are you expecting me to respond to this power play? How are, how are you expecting me to respond to this ultimatum? He's like, I, 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 I'm expecting you to give me $10,000. And I was like, and what's the thought behind that? Like, where's the win? In the, so what's fascinating is, is I didn't take the gauntlet that he put out there. I didn't accept it. I put the thinking back on him. And that, that's a wonderful thing to do in a power play is to either turn the responsibility back to a difficult person and say, What's the thought behind that? Help me understand where this is coming from. How are you hoping that I respond? But what I don't do is talk. What I do is I actually throw the question that allows them to explain their thinking, their reasoning, their irrationality. I'm I'm forcing them to play better and think so I can get us to a connection. 
That is my goal in asking these questions is to actually get to a connection. Hmm. The other time where you can actually take a power play and turn it around is different individual. We were in a negotiation and we'd sort of reached a stalemate. And one of the coolest things that I saw him do, which was very impressive, different individual, but we were negotiating a contract and the CEO and this guy, I'm just in the room, I'm a part of the, the team, but they had sort of kind of, they'd reached this awkward silence. And so there was this crazy, you kind of know how five seconds gets really long when it's an awkward five seconds. Yeah. So there's like this silence of like one, 1,000, two, 1,000. And I was like, oh, for crying out loud, Amy Kay, what are you going to say to like break the tension? And I didn't have to because the guy that wanted the raise broke the tension. And he was like, really? He's like, I just want an opportunity to prove that massive amounts of money can't make me happy. And it was awesome. <laughs> So we all started laughing. So, you know, humor when it's self-deprecating or it's unifying, not at anybody's expense, but when it is self-deprecating or unifying, humor is an awesome way to get us back to connection, to like mm. that human common experience, because now we all have empathy of, around that humor. And mm-hmm. so when, when you go to seek connection, you are seeking to relate and understand at an empathic level. So it comes full circle. And so it, it's no different. You started with connection with your daughter. And that was, we all make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Now you guys are aligned. Now you're in the world together. You're, you're a team. Now it doesn't mean that there isn't a consequence later, but notice how the complete tone and tenor changes than if you had started the whole conversation with Maeve, what you did was unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and that, that is a completely different, as a game changer. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-275. 2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. As you're speaking, I'm thinking about how there's a really tremendous lesson that, that you shared in the first example that I don't want people to miss out on. And that is that the guy comes in and tries to execute a power play, you then put the question back to him with the objection, uh, objective of working your way, finding your way back to connection. Correct. And, and I think that that is a really a big time missed opportunity that, that people can come in, whether it's us or others, and, and want something and, and try to lay an ultimatum out there or a demand and all of a sudden now you're going to be in two you're going to have two or more people competing for a power position or you can find a way back toward connection and i think that that is a tremendous opportunity that is really missed out who are some of the other when you look out at the the world today whether it's a um an educator a, a corporate person an entrepreneur who are some of the 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 best communicators that stand out to you that are kind of doing this? 
Well, I think that the people that I love the most in terms of who like trains and teaches this type of stuff yeah. all comes from the world of psychology. Mm-hmm. And so I love Gottman. I love Hendricks. I, I love Daniel uh, Goleman for emotional intelligence. Um, Jaworski for synchronicity. I mean, these, these are all, all leaders in the field of relationships and how human behavior comes to play. Sometimes just with optimism, sometimes with behavioral cognitive science, a lot of communication, obviously, with Gottman and his work on marriages. In fact, Gottman, here's okay, here's a really cool tip. This is like a full stop awesomeness, and I take no credit for it. But Gottman will often talk about how we, we make bids in relationships. We bid for attention and we bid for connection. And sometimes we miss the bid because it's cased in like snarkiness or negativity. So let's say just um, for sake of an example, a partner comes to you and they're like, you always burn the toast. I'm so sick and tired of you burning the toast. Why, why can you not burn the toast? This is ridiculous. I'm, I'm, I'm so pissed off about you burning toast every day. Now, what we often do is we start with being defensive. We'll start by saying, I don't have time. I'm in a hurry. The toaster sucks. It's not my fault. We'll do this fight or flight response. But if you can actually lean toward your partner, what I often say is I, the analogy that I give is if you take the wind out of their sails or you de-stink the poop that they just threw at you, <laughs> you can completely change an outcome and create connection. And so when somebody comes to you and like, you know, you always bring the toast and it's so frustrating, instead of saying, well, the toaster stinks, which is a total deflection and defense mechanism, as in it's not my fault, I'm not responsible for this. If you actually hear their bid, their bid is, I don't like the waste, or I don't like the smell, or I think you're irresponsible. There's something else that's going on because it's never about the toast. Mm-hmm. When you lean in, now this is a really important concept. When you lean in and you say, you know what? Burning the toast frustrates me too. Will you help me? Mm-hmm. You have just, it's like, huh? Now, Sometimes they have just taken the pin out of the next hand grenade that they were going to throw at you. And so you might get another snarky comment because they got to get rid of the hand grenade that's about to blow up. Mm -hmm. So you might get one more snarky response. Mm -hmm. But what's fascinating is, is that you've already shifted where this battle is going. Because as soon as I say to you, you know, Mike, it frustrates me too. Will you help me? Or it annoys me too. Or it upsets me too. Will you help me? The person's like, oh. We've just created space for a better future that we can co-create together. Mm-hmm. We've just made space for possibility. Mm-hmm. And so I love that technique. And you can do it at work too. Like if you come to me and you're like, Amy Kay, you're always late to these meetings. You know, this is really annoying. I can look at you and I can say, you know what? It annoys me too. Mm-hmm. Will you help me? Can you help me to be on time? Mm-hmm. And then they shift from being upset to being a problem solver with you. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think about the fact that many people don't have a a designed framework for how to it, it, how to manage um, adversity or challenges in relationships, and so that's where things blow up and combust. Versus, if you if you walk into a any sort of corporation, whether you own it or you're the or an employee there, and 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 there's some sort of a disagreement, there is definitely in a handbook somewhere how to work with a dissatisfied customer. There's a design, a workflow around that, a framework, whatever you want to call it. And most relationships don't have one, even within an organization, whether it's a marriage, a a relationship, or an employee-boss thing. 
there oftentimes isn't a framework. It's there's one for their customers, right. but not one for the people that deliver the goods to the customers. And so I think that, that is such an important lesson to to pay attention to what is behind the words. You know, what what's the veiled bid, if you will, that the other person may not even know really how to articulate. But if you pause and you say, you know what, exactly like you just said, I don't like burning the toast or I don't like disappointing customers. Right. You know, but there if you if you don't have a design, I just heard this guy at my mastermind group, he was one of the speakers. He said, if you don't have a design, then you're not going to be able to control behavior. It's so true. And I think that you know, a lot of times when we're in conflict, we're in conflict about different things. We're 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 in conflict about stories that are in our head, um, false intentions or false attributions about what's going on, and so we interpret things through our own filters and our own layers. And what we have to realize is we have to stop and say, okay, now wait a minute. Everybody's got a different version. Everybody's got a different story. And you know what? There's truth in all of it. That's the mm-hmm. crazy thing. And so if we seek connection and we seek understanding. Instead of being right, or instead, of, or instead of trying to prove that our story is better than your story, or my version is more accurate than yours, then it's a game changer. And I, I'm going to be really, really um, transparent on this. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. So it's you know we can sit here on on the on a on a podcast and be like, hey, and do this, and hey, and do this. It doesn't mean that what we're saying doesn't work. It just means it takes practice. It takes self awareness. It takes your ability to take a deep breath. Now, this is all doable. It just takes practice mm-hmm. until it becomes like an, an inherent DNA. I am much better now than I was 20 years ago. And I have many more skills than I had 20 year go- years ago that I wish I'd had when mm-hmm. I was younger because we all have conversations that we regret. Yeah. We've all said things that when we look back, we're like, why on earth did I even say that? But then when you unpack it, it's really not as crazy as you think. It was just coming from a really either emotionally upsetting place or a false story. It becomes understandable and then it becomes forgivable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it it's also comes down to where the, what is the, and I might not phrase this the right way, but what is the rate of return, if you will, on, on what kind of engagement am I getting from that person that's vying for my attention, my communication or whatever, or who, who, do I really need to respond or react to this? You know, I think about, and I'm thinking about that because today in this super connected world, we have everybody vying for our attention, vying yeah. for us to, uh, they're sending us messages all day long and they're just waiting for us to, to say something back to them. But we have to rank, you know, those things in our brain and in our heart. And it's a really, really challenging thing, especially for those of us who really lean into connection and want to feel connected and part of a community. And we empathize with those people that may not feel that way, but we still nevertheless have to prioritize who we engage with based on our dreams, vision, goals, stakeholders in our businesses, whatever it might be. And so for you, that's that's come home kind of in a personal way for you because you, after 18 years of working with an organization of CEOs around the world, have decided to to make changes in your own life. You know, big ones, huge you know, ones. Big ones, and you're executing them in 2019. So I'd love for you to share with us kind of 
what the the catalyst was, um, what the internal dialogue was, what some of the external dialogue might have been with some of the key stakeholders, and how you ultimately decided to act upon it. Okay, well, that's a four-hour dialogue. <laughs> but, I'll, but I'll give you sort of like the highlight reel of, of that, and I'll walk you through it a little bit. There, there are times in your life when... Well, let me go back. So this is really important. So my, my definition of mild, mild depression, not clinical, but mild depression, is lack of hope for a compelling future. And as a super upbeat, optimistic, I'm, I love my life, I'm high on life, I noticed that some of the joy of what I was doing was leaking out of my life. And that's just, and I don't mean like flooding, I mean like this slow drip of, I love what I do, I love what I'm doing, I love these pieces over here, but there's something that is off. There's just something that is draining my energy. And it, it doesn't sound like rocket science when I say it, but I live on the road. I absolutely live on the road because of what I do. And I love what it is that I do. But when you're on the road all but six weeks out of the year, there are some things that you realize that are missing from your life. And it was that sort of kind of self-awareness of, I love what I do, but I don't necessarily love the cost of what I do. And the cost of what I do was, was having a very strong impact in my personal life. And so I thought, well, then how do I... So notice my problem solving. How mm-hmm. do I do what I love and maybe even expand my capacity to do it while changing the impact that it has on my personal life? So I didn't say I had to give up anything. It really was an and question. Like, how do I get this and this? Mm-hmm. And that was all of last year's, let's change the business model let's execute differently, let's make some tough choices. And even though I love my client of 18 years, I love the people that I've been serving, I love the work that we do together, the cost started to outweigh the reward. Mm -hmm. And so that was just one of those seminal moments where I was like, this is going to be a little bit painful. This is going to be a transition, but it's also going to be an innovation of how I play. It's going to be a reinvention and it's going to expand a whole new fun chapter. And it has. That's the crazy thing is that once I flipped the switch. Once I stepped into this new chapter and said, like, there's really, I'm not going to have one foot in each. I like, it's like, I got to rip the bandaid. Once I did it, it was amazing how the world stepped up to fill in that gap. That's, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff there. Number one, you had the self-awareness, you were listening to what you were feeling and what was going on in your head. And, and you had this, you had this intuitive nature that that allowed you to sense that joy was leaking out of out of your life, and you're naturally joyful. Opti- you have the optimistic gene, you know. Yes, I do. So then, where where did you? At what point did you begin to bring others into that dialogue? Well, I'm blessed that I'm a part of a mastermind group, and there are three other women in this group that, and not not okay. So that didn't come out right. There are four of us total. So it's not like three of the seven are brilliant. All three of them are amazing. And there are four of us total. So I've got three really powerhouse women that are great sounding boards for me. And I really believe in mastermind groups. I I, I think sometimes we get in our own head. It's a chance for us to expand our perspective, have provocative thoughts um, tossed at us. And I really said, I'm nervous about this. And so we processed and we dialogued. And there was a seminal moment when one of the women said to me, 
what what are you afraid of? Like there there are there are thousands of people that don't even know that this organization exists who've managed to make their way in the world in other ways. So why why do you think that you won't figure it out if you like if you let go of this way? And it was just like duh, you know. And so little conversations like that, conversations internally about oh, so here's one question that was also seminal: Who must I become? to get the life that I want. Hmm. In other words, who must I be to lead my way into the goals and the visit and the vision and the desires that I really have? Now, here's the irony. I ask my mastermind. So I lead a mastermind group, not with those women. I lead a separate mastermind group. And I always ask them, who must you allow yourself to become? But I hadn't answered it myself. Hmm. And the minute that I stepped back and I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to be a more confident person. I've got to be a bigger risk taker. I've got to be more technology. I've got to have more fun with this. I, mm-hmm. I've got to... And then the, as soon as I laid all that map, I mean, Mike, it was just like, duh, it's time to take a risk. Only it's not yeah. as risky when you have that level of confidence behind you. Yeah. Because the reality is, is that you have these... You've dug your well and it's been... It's very, very deep. Yes. And you can draw on that well of experience and relationships and results and outcomes that you've produced for others, and they will come to you. It's like the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come, you know? And so, you know, I could totally see all of those people coming to you in beautiful, sunny San Diego, you know? And well, okay, but let's take that analogy because I'm gonna I'm gonna go in a slightly different direction. I okay. thought I thought you were headed down and see, this is why we all have a story and a conversation in our own head. Let's go with the well analogy for a second. Okay. Sure. This is where I was at. I have this incredible well. I have this incredible source of water. Why would I travel to a new land and risk giving up this source of life, this water that sustains my existence? What I had to realize is that I have all now the skills and tools to go find and build an even better well that could serve thousands of people in a new land instead of just hundreds of us here in this land. And that to me was sort of the, I'm capable of this well. This well is awesome and it's deep and it's vibrant and it's life-sustaining. So why why leave? Mm -hmm. Why leave? Because it's actually, I'm being called. I'm being called to a new land to go build a new well. Mm -hmm. And I have to have faith that I can do it and do it better. And one of those is the profitable, the the Power of Profitable Conversations course. Yes, totally. that, That rolled out. Uh, this month, January, and and is available uh, on your website. I would imagine. Yes, 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 Where, yes. Give, give it a little plug. This will this will air after the early bird pricing ends, but it's still a ridiculously amazing offer. And to get access to the deep well of Amy K's wisdom, knowledge, and experience, where she's taught internationally for more than twenty years, is you know. Ridiculous. So, so give a little plug of about about the profitable conversations course. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been quite as passionate about anything. And you know, I am a passionate. Like I am in. Like I am all in about what I do and what I've been doing for so long. But this is this to me is sort of the the culmination of everything that I've been on the planet for to do, and it's mm-hmm. been divinely supported. And I and I believe that a hundred percent. It was sort of like one of those. Do I do this? And then every time I made one step in this direction, you know, the universe came up and, and validated that I was on the right path. And so we've 
got this course now. It's a year long and it's primarily video because we know that people want flexibility to watch when they want to watch. And then it's a monthly coaching call live. I'm doing it. You're in the hot seat. I'm helping you with your toughest conversations and how to navigate them confidently. And it's just everything. It's, it's not even just work. It's at home in our relationships and it's our mindset and who we are and how we operate and how we create the life that we desire one conversation at a time. So I'm not teaching Six Sigma. I'm not teaching you like, like warehouse efficiency. I'm teaching you how to build the life that you want at work and at home and in your own head one conversation at a time. And we're having irreverent blast doing it. So super creative. Um, I will do a plug, amyk.com forward slash PPC, PPC for um, the power of profitable conversations. Um, It's filled with information. Uh, We closed the cart on January 31st this year. We'll reopen it in October. But it really is the idea that if you can stop long enough to have a conversation like you had with Maeve or to have a breakthrough conversation with your partner or a breakthrough conversation with your boss or a board member or a sibling or learn how to say no and not damage your relationship, um, I think it's worth its weight in gold to give you the life that you're meant to live. Definitely. And we will be sure to link to that in the show notes and share it out on social media. And if people don't make the January 31st cutoff, I'm pumped to hear that you're going to reopen it in October. Yes. Um, I think that's brilliant too, because you can't, you've got to, you can't just leave it open-ended if you're going to be intentional the way that you want to be with the people that opt into the course from at any point. You, You need to, they need, you only have so much capacity and, and you have to be able to serve and be intentional in the way that, that you are accustomed to and that your uh, your clients uh, demand so that you don't have a communication breakdown, right? Where you're right. all of a sudden expectations aren't aligned with reality and then there's disappointment and blah, blah, blah. And it's just the spirals. It would, you know, so, so putting boundaries around the course itself is communication in action. Well, you know, it's so funny. I'm, I'm a big believer in there's nothing that we're going to do that's going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. But it can sure be excellent. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we really have sort of as a mantra in our company as, you know, we, we will do our very best to, to make it perfect, but we're human and we're fallible. And, you know, there's usually something that's going on. But we have, we have this thought of what will make it truly excellent. And if this won't make it truly excellent, then we don't do it. You know, that reminds me of a George Patton quote that says the... Uh... A perfect plan or a good plan executed violently is better than a perfect plan never executed. Yeah, totally agree. <laughs> totally agree. Well, Amy Kay, as we wrap up this this conversation, um, I, I want to conclude with number one, uh, a gratitude because I'm so thankful for your encouragement and support and friendship that we've developed over the last couple of years, and look forward to collaborating more in 2019. And um, and so I'm very grateful for you and for all that you're doing. And I'm, I'm one of your biggest fans. So oh, vice versa. Thank yeah. you. I'm yeah. so excited about your book. I, yes. I, I've read it. I love it. I can't wait to start buying it and giving it as gifts. Thank you so much. I, I can't wait to get a hard copy of it in my hand. You know, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's one of the biggest things right now for me is just being patient and trusting the process and being flexible. And um, so I'm, I'm having... You know, your, our conversation about communication and, and stuff is very timely. 
I always conclude with with three questions of every single guest. I've already asked you the the superpower question, and people can go back and listen to that on episode twenty six. So I want to conclude with two of the three questions that are new that you haven't answered before. Okay, good. And, and the first is, um, what are three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from having powerful conversations? I'm right. That's a big lie. I'm right. Because you might be right about some things, but you won't be right about everything. Hmm. Um, and it's just your story, your version. So I'm right prevents us from having a lot of quality conversations. I'm not good enough, or I don't deserve this, or I don't feel strongly about my own self-worth can um, lead to a lot of really non-profitable conversations. Um, you know, ba- boundaries in our world and having boundaries um, is a reflection of self-worth and self-value. And if you don't have them, then it's really self-sabotage. So that's another one. Mm. Um, so I'm right is a lie. Um, I'm not enough is a lie. and you're either wrong or you're crazy is also a huge lie. Hmm. It's simply that we don't take the time to connect and understand to realize that somewhat what seemingly on the surface could be crazy or irrational is actually their truth. Hmm. It doesn't mean you have to accept cray-cray behaviors. You don't. Hmm. It just means that you do need to lean in to connect to understand somebody else's story and perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're bidding for something, as you said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, so true. So what is your favorite art form, form of art? That's, that's going to that's gonna lead into this next question. Oh, gosh. My favorite art form. God, that's so hard. I love so much. You know, off the top of my head, so just brainstorming really fast, I'd say movies. movies I love okay. movies as an art form. So this question is, is will we'll tie into your love for, for movies as an art form. So... It's a hundred years from now, and mm-hmm. and you've left a set of instructions for a cinematographer. Oh my god! To set up a <laughs> okay. scene, to set up a scene that is going to depict how you will measure your life. What elements? What kind of lighting? Uh, will it be a slow fade? Will it be a blaze oh of glory? God. What what will the setup be? As, as a reflection of my life? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I feel so... I feel pressure. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, off the top of my head, an African plane. Now, remember, I've never been to this continent, so I'm making <laughs> it up from, from, from my movies and books and National Geographic. Uh, an African plane. The sun is setting. Mm-hmm. So the lighting, like the cinematography is gorgeous. There's like... A, multiple colors in the sky. There's a beautiful tree off in the distance, kind of like a tree of life. The plains are pretty barren though. And two people meet on the path and they make eye contact. And these two people simply say, I see you. And the other one says, I am here. Hmm. I love that. I just got chills. That's beautiful. That would be my scene. And see, now I'm teary-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> you know there's an African word that actually describes what you just said. No, what is the word? The word is Ubuntu. Say that again? Ubuntu. You oh, I have heard of that. What does that yeah. mean again? It means I am because you are. Ah, see, Ubuntu. That might even be the name of the film. <laughs> yeah. 
It's the name of a company also, but they, they, they stole it from the actual. So the priest at my parish is, is from South Africa, and he always talks about being Ubuntu. Oh, I love it. See, I yeah. learned something. I love it. I love yeah. talking to you. <laughs> well, Amy Kay, thank you so much uh, for joining us again and I look forward to many great things to come. Thank you so much. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful you time. Too. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot and Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.